0: Hey, everybody, welcome back to Black on the Air. It's me, Larry Wilmore, your host. Happy to be back. I mean, happy to be back. Even I messed that up. I didn't even mean that as a joke. (laughs) I'm having so much fun doing this podcast, by the way. And uh, once again, I really want to thank everybody for listening and subscribing, telling your friends about it, shouting it from the buildings, everything. it's really been awesome. Been hearing from you on Twitter and Facebook and uh in the gram when I go on that in person, people stop me in the street. It's really been great. Keep sending me your ideas for guests. People have some really good ideas there. I'm absolutely gonna try some of those ideas. And any questions you have too, keep uh keep tweeting them. It's really a lot of fun to get them. So what is going on? We just had the G twenty uh summit uh in Europe and Trump got to hang out with his buddy Putin for a while. He was so happy. It's so funny seeing Trump is so interesting to me. He just shuns all of our allies, but he loves hanging out with Putin. He gets so much pleasure out of it. And for me, it's funny to see Putin enjoy how stupid Trump is. (laughs) That's what it seems like. It seems like Putin knows how stupid Trump is and he just loves it. He can't get enough for it because he had so much contempt for Obama If you see pictures of him sitting with Obama, he's he's not even looking at him, you know, Uh, nerdy Obama. You know, he he had no room for him, but he can't get enough of Trump. Uh, Even when he's shaking his hand, the look on Putin's face is I can't believe this guy is so stupid. This is going to be great. (laughs) Sorry, that was a horrible Russian accent. I apologize for that. It's unbelievable to me. The things that the way that Trump engages with someone like Putin, too, where He asks Putin directly about his interference in the election. Putin says no. So apparently he asked him again and he said no again. So Trump takes him at his word. Even his own party is flabbergasted at that type of engagement, if you will. It's amazing to me. And the fact that Trump takes Putin at his word over something that this ex-KGB agent of course did and of course always does yet he can't take obama at his word for where he was fucking born i mean that's insane you guys think about it. he's the president of the united states and he's taking putin's word for for not spying of course he spies we spy on them that's our jobs we spy on them they spy on us everybody spies it's it to even ask the question is amazing but it's real interesting to see the republicans some people are, I think Joe Scarborough denounces Republicanship. George Will did it before. Bill Cristo, who, you know, you couldn't get him to say anything negative about Republicans. He's been slamming Trump. Anna Navarro on CNN. She's been on fire. It's been amazing. and They're just jumping. You can't even use the Titanic analogy. It's not like they're even jumping off the ship. I feel like These Republicans feel like Trump is taking them on like a journey to the center of the earth. (laughs) It's like they feel like they're going to be destroyed by some molten lava of of this journey that Trump is taking them on. And they're trying to get out of this quicksand as soon as possible. It really is amazing to me. the latest example, of course, of which is this whole Donald Trump Jr. uh, fiasco with the supposed meeting. It was like a year ago that, of of course, after using the men in black wand, he had no memory of it, apparently. And I love how they try to make not such a big deal out of it that, uh, you know, because he didn't get the information that he wanted to get, that (laughs) we're supposed to just forget like it didn't happen. And the whole, uh, I don't know if you guys are following it, but it was the whole, uh, I can't even go through the different people that were involved, but apparently Donald Trump Jr., had this email that was so transparent. It's like, we'd like to talk to you about some secret information on Hillary Clinton that the Russians are gathering. I mean, it was some language like that. I mean, it could have been like one of those letters from a Nigerian prince. That's basically how it was written, you know, wanting like Donald Trump Jr. to give them $1,000. You know, I feel Trump would have shown up for that meeting as well. Uh, and then, uh, you know, they – I love how they try to use Van Jones's uh, phrase when he called it a this whole thing is all a nothing burger and that we're just supposed to accept that there's nothing going on here. But uh, it appears that nothing burger goes pretty well with a little Trump vodka, it appears. I think, you know, this whole nothing burger analogy is starting to take on some different meanings, too. You know, and by the way, I'm offended by any kind of burger that isn't a real burger. Being a burger eater myself, I love burgers. In and Out, by the way, best burger. That's not an ad, I'm just saying. I'm from California, can't beat In and Out. Sorry, New York. Shake Shack is good, but we have In and Out here. Shake Shack is out here now, too, by the way, because it knows California's the best place to have burgers. I'm gonna get so many tweets now about burgers. <laughs> this is gonna be hilarious. But I love my burgers, but, and here's my opinion about burgers, too. Like, I don't mind if you're a vegetarian. Vegetarians, I ain't mad at you. Uh, here's Here's what I don't appreciate when vegetarians, go out of their way to slam meat, and then they have a veggie burger. Okay, stop it, vegetarians. That's not... Stop pretending to eat meat. If you hate meat so much, stop acting like you're eating meat, all right? You don't see me with a meat salad, you know, a fake, hey, look at this asparagus. It's really sausage. (laughs) No. You don't do that, you know, and this whole... The whole idea of a nothing burger is offensive to me because you have to put so much on that nothing burger to make it taste good, and in the case of Of the Trump team, Uh, it's filled with stupidity, naivete, arrogance, hubris, little extra Trump sauce. You got a nice old nothing burger there. I think it kind of describes Trump right now, too. Trump is the ultimate nothing burger. You know, I think the people that voted for Trump really saw that delicious meat just cooking on that working man's grill. But every bite so far out of this administration has been nothing. I mean, that's why these Republicans feel so disenchanted. Think about it, guys. They have control of the House and the Senate and the presidency, and they can't get anything done. It is amazing to me. And the biggest nothing burger of them all is going to be this whole health care debacle. I mean, they spent years telling us about this repeal and replace. And that's going to be the biggest nothing burger of them all when they're not going to have any plan that is going to work here because there was nothing thoughtful about what they were doing. So much of it was just obstructionism of Obama's plan, I believe. So we'll see. We'll see what happens. Anyhow. Okay. I got to talk about this thing. So I got a tweet from somebody. I think it was at Joy Din, I think it is. And they asked me about a. She said, a, or he said, I'm not sure. I thought I sent this tweet last night, but it was late. out, Hoping to hear your thoughts on this DeRay Planet of the Apes vest. I'm like, what? DeRay, Planet of the Apes. So DeRay McKesson, who's uh, one of the faces of Black Lives Matter, apparently was, <laughs> this is so insane, you guys. So you have to stay with me for a second because I'm trying to piece this together myself. I looked this up. I had to look it up on the internet because I didn't know what was going on. So apparently he was. Uh, he took offense that the Planet of the Apes movie had an ape that, <laughs> that, I'm laughing as I'm saying it, had like a blue vest. And I think he thought it was, emulating him or the black lives matter movement i'm not sure what it is okay first of all stop it stop it Dere. no 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 i think this is a lane change that is not appropriate black lives matter i think has a lot of good ideas and is you know focused on a lot of good issues especially with the unfortunate deaths of of many black people at the hands of law enforcement you know but media criticism, especially film criticism, should not be the lane <laughs> that DeRay is in, especially for a movie like Planet of the Apes. Planet of the Apes is not a documentary about apes. It, you know, it's not like somebody put a vest on an ape <laughs> and was making it look like DeRay. It's always been an allegory about human beings. That was The original Planet of the Apes was written by Rod Serling, and the whole story is an allegory about humans and the interaction of humans and power and all that stuff. But I tell you something. If you want to go the racism, Planet of the Apes. My brother, we—I saw the original Planet of the Apes as a kid. Yes, that's how old I am. And My brother at the time, who finds a racial conspiracy and everything, at the time, keep in mind we're little kids. He thought the original Planet of the Apes was racist because he felt that the, this is—I'm not making this up—that the dark-skinned gorillas were the violent ones, and the light-skinned chimps were like the intelligent ones. So he saw intra-racism, like he thought it was. Racism about light-skinned black people <laughs> and dark-skinned black people. And I found that so entertaining, even as a child, you know. But think about that. My brother couldn't have been more than six or seven years old. And he's able to interpret that from the Planet of the Apes. That's, that's pointing out racism in Planet of the Apes. If you want to go, that's the way you do it. But come on. Black Lives Matter, yes. But blue vests on apes, I can't say that that matters. Sorry, Duray. Can't go with you on that one. All right, guys. Um, we have a real uh, fun talk uh, coming up with uh, Senator Al Franken, I forgot to mention, who's going to be on the show. I was a little frustrated. The talk went a little shorter than I would like for it to be. Um, unfortunately, there were some s- scheduling issues, but Senator was so nice. Uh, he's such a cool guy. We got to talk a lot about his uh, SNL days and comedy, but we're going to continue our conversation at some point and really get into policy stuff, but I think you guys are really going to enjoy it. Um, it was really fun. Fun conversation he's really had a quite an amazing journey so that's coming up but first let's do a little uh let's do a little selling all right everybody i am so happy uh today because i get to talk to uh someone who i've been a fan of for a very long time oh great i'm an og i go back to to the original days of uh, Al Franken and Tom Davis on SNL. I All watched right. them when they came on live. <laughs> yes. Actually, I'm West Coast, so it wasn't live. You know? Oh, okay, sorry. But I'm very happy to welcome uh, Senator Al Franken. Thank welcome, you. Senator, Thank you. Uh, who has a book out now, Al Franken,
1: Giant of the Senate. That's right. And it's very important to say the whole Titans, You're right. You're I right, because sometimes people say, well, you know, whether well, this is the author of Giant of the Senate. <laughs> right. No, it's Al Franken, Giant of the Senate. Like it's some book about your size or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Or it's, there's no joke there. Yes, exactly. <laughs> or, Hello, people. That's the whole point of the book. Yeah, we're going to take out the joke part. Yeah, there's
0: so much to talk to you about. In fact, that's kind of a metaphor for for your whole Senate career is taking
1: out the joke part. That's a know? big metaphor for... Uh, my uh, campaign (laughs) and then the uh, uh, from my first term. Yes, exactly.
0: And I want to talk about it a little later, but uh, what's great about the book is it doesn't just show you for being funny and smart, which I think we are, but there's a tremendous amount of humanity in this book. Which I, which I, which really really comes out, which I think is great, you know. And part of it, um, I wanted to ask, um, like it seems like Al Franken wasn't just brought up by family values. It seems like Minnesota values had a huge part in your upbringing.
1: Yeah, well, we were—Minnesota yeah. works uh, yeah. as a state, and uh, there's kind of a tradition of uh, community involvement, yeah. and our we have a lot of Fortune 500 uh, companies in right. Minnesota, and, you know, you have to, if you're the CEO of a Fortune 500 yeah. company, take over the United Way. I mean, every everyone right. is expected to— yeah be involved in the community. And so I think that's just uh, we were kind of settled by Scandinavians. Yeah. And I think they had that that ethos and it's continued. I mean, we have you know, Trump only lost by a point and a half this mm-hmm. last time, which was frightening for Minnesota. And so we have a lot of points of view and we have some uh, points of view that I don't agree with and we have some yeah. people who voted for for me and then who voted for Trump, there are, there right. are uh, Frank and Trump voters. But um, I, I do write about the people of the state, mm-hmm. and I write about how inspiring they
0: are. I've spent some time in Minnesota, my ex-wife, her sister, husband's from Minnesota, and it always struck me just how nice everybody <laughs> always seemed to, like he's arguably one of the nicest guys I've ever met. But out of the nicest really is that sense of community you talk about. It's like there's
1: something in the water there. Yeah. Or something. I, I think it's the. I, I do think it is the founders of Minnesota, uh-huh. uh, basically the Scandinavian ethos. I mean, you know, we have 11 tribes there, and they, <laughs> they look at it kind of differently. Yeah. It's kind cause, of. Because uh, there's some very wealthy families in the Twin Cities who made their fortune in timber. Uh-huh. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> that was actually. Uh, mm. kind of on Indian land, yeah. So, there's some uh skepticism about how great Minnesotans are uh-huh. <laughs> by some Minnesotans, <laughs> yeah. But, <it's>, but <laughs> it seems like
0: also the general ethos of Minnesota is, Yeah, whatever, <laughs> not really, not really. It, <laughs> that phrase is said a lot, whatever.
1: No, we don't. Right. That's not whatever, isn't that's, that's I don't mean it as dismissive, but it means it just I don't, I don't yeah. hear that uh mm-hmm. said. I hear, Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah sure. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you hear more of those things. Okay is the best. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. You hear those kinds of things, you know. But uh, I don't hear whatever. Yeah. You know, I, I, I hear that attitude sometimes. But, right. uh, you know, it's... I guess that's okay. Yeah, <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> It's This
0: acceptance of the world. Well, it seems like it's not quite defeatist, but it almost seems like. Oh
1: no, no, no! There, yeah. there's a lot of earnestness, and yes. uh, sure, let's do it. Yeah, you know, there's get it, let, get her done.
0: I love get that. her done. Wait, what happened to this accent? Was that ever in Al Franken? This Minnesotan accent here? Oh or, sure.
1: Yeah. You know, it's funny when I ran. In, when was it beaten out of you? It it never was. Um, When I ran in 2008, I ran against Norm Coleman, right? Right, And he was from Brooklyn. Uh But he spoke with kind of an accent that didn't exist in nature, which is he had (laughs) a Brooklyn Hyannisport because he clearly wanted to be a Kennedy. Right, 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 right. uh, Some weird hybrid, monstrous hybrid. So he would kind of talk like that. It was kind of, you know, it's not enough to be negative. You've got to work with people. and, And he... Could not get rid of that accent, yeah. so we'd be debating. And I had been—I lived in New York City for like thirty-five sure. years, right, <laughs> and right. I came back. Right. <laughs> and I—he was the perfect guy for me to run against because I can do you know two percent Minnesota, sure, or, or you know just I can really month. do eighty, eighty yeah. percent. You know, I actually want, wanted—I can't get enough of that accent, by the way. It just makes me happy. I wanted at one right. point to say in the debate, uh, Norm, I want you to hear uh, say no to earmarks. Uh-huh. Come on, uh, say it. Say no. <laughs> and I knew he couldn't say no. <laughs> and so I wanted to, like, you know, and you know, he, uh, I, I said, you know, I was the only New York Jew in the race right. who actually grew up in Minnesota. Very nice. And but he, you know, nice. it, I, he was perfect for me to run yes. against, as you know, the carpetbagger thing didn't stick at all because I was sure uh, up up there going like, well, sure. Yeah, we can do that. We can get universal health care. Yeah. Not only that, but we have to. Right. So I don't know what Norm's talking about. Just it was so unfair to him.
0: <laughs> uh, just, just, the reduction of things just makes me laugh. You know, I, I remember Fargo
1: kind of exploited that accent a lot. Oh God, that was it, so uh, brilliant! That movie. Yes. That's the Cone Brothers. They were yes, uh, from my suburb, St. Louis sure. Park, which yeah. was the Jewish suburb of Minneapolis. Sure. Tom Friedman's from there. I'm from yes. there. The Cone Brothers, Norm Ornstein. And, you know, it was about 25% Jewish when I was growing up. But that's sure. a lot of Jews in yes, Minnesota. Yes. It's a shtetl. Yes. And mm-hmm. um, so once I was given a, a speech at a park in uh, New Ulm, Minnesota, which is in south-central Minnesota. Was this your Hermann German? Yeah, uh, this is yes. where Herman the, the statue <laughs> of Herman the German is.
0: Okay, now what, what <laughs> was this statue? With The way you describe it in the book, it sounds like a monstrosity. It's it's beautiful. It's actually
1: quite a beautiful statue. It's twenty seven feet tall. Right. On a pedestal that's like seventy five feet tall. <laughs> of a of a German. Of Armenius yes. who was a uh Hun, I think. Yeah. Uh who Won a battle, the Battle of Teutenberg Forest. Of course, yeah, everyone yeah. remembers that battle. Um, yeah. a historic battle. That was one of and the big they ones. Killed thousands of Roman soldiers in 9 AD when wow. Jesus was just a little kid.
0: Wow, look at him.
1: And uh, <laughs> so they have this big statue. There, as speaking to, at a uh, DFL Democratic Farmer Labor picnic, yeah. and I'm in the shadow of Herman the German. I'm from St. <laughs> Jewish Park. That's yes, what some uh, people call it St. Jewish Park. And yes. I'm, I, I did comedy for 37 years professionally. So mm-hmm. any self-respecting comedian would say, you know. Uh, here I am in the shadow of of Herman the German, you know, in St. Louis Park, uh, we also had a statue, Stu the Jew. Very nice. And, uh, but I I didn't say it.
0: But I think you have to make that joke, right?
1: No, well, that's what I used to think, but now I've been running long enough that I knew Mm -hmm. there was a tracker there. Yeah. Okay, that's uh, from the Republican Party taping me, so I just knew that, You know, the Republicans who put everything I'd ever, every joke I'd ever done through the dehumorizer. Mm -hmm. Yes. Which is a $15 million machine built with very, very uh, sophisticated Israeli technology to take the humor.
0: To make everything funny, not funny.
1: Exactly. Yes. So I figure uh, if I say that here, somehow they're going to end up saying, you know, Al Franken, (laughs) blame the Holocaust on the people of New Ulm. Uh. And I didn't didn't want that to happen, so I didn't say it. And my my staff was like, "Wow, thank you know." I told them, I said, I, that's "They're proud I They were very proud of me." And then uh, I'd been having trouble learning certain political skills, yeah. like pivoting. Yeah. And so two weeks later, uh, New York Magazine came. The interview asked me. Has there ever been a joke that you thought of that you didn't tell? <laughs> okay. And I'm like, yeah, do the joke. So, and, and then they go, like, why did you do that? <laughs> oh, you're right. You're right. I shouldn't have done that. Oh. And you know, why didn't you say? I can't think of one right now. <laughs> right? Why didn't you lie effectively like you're supposed to do as yeah, a politician? Yeah. And so right. then I I got a little another training and pivoting. Yeah. It, it, like pivoting is basically this. Uh, Early on in the race, they go, like, you're 15 points behind in the polls, Norm Coleman. You're asking Democrats to get behind you to be Mm -hmm. the nominee. If you're 15 down in the polls, what makes—how are you going to convince them that you're the guy to take on Norm Coleman? (laughs) And the pivot is, you know, when I go around Minnesota, Minnesotans don't care about polls. What they care about is whether they get health care. Pivoting is
0: answering the question you want to answer, basically. Exactly. You're not answering their question— you're giving your answer to the question you want to answer, which exactly. is, give me your
1: platform. <laughs> <laughs> well, or whatever right. your message is that day. Right. And I had a hard time doing that. And the the Stew the Jew story, actually, that was the one where I went, I got to learn how to do this. Yeah. And uh, I did. And then yeah. I got another training, and then I had an interview with a guy who would interviewed me several times before. And I just pivoted egregiously yeah. all throughout the interview, and, <laughs> and I kind of got the hang of it. And at the end of the interview, he goes, he turns to my press secretary and said, you know, he's 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 getting a lot better. That's hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> His lying is
0: unbelievable.
1: Uh, I think yeah. he's got a shot. That's fantastic. Yeah. yeah. I,
0: I love that. Uh, it's funny, because when I look at your career, to me, it seems like a, a series of seminal pivoting, you know. Let's argue. Your first pivot was when you thought you were going to be a scientist, and you decide you're going to be a comedian. You know that that's that not was for a you. big pivot. That's a big pivot for yeah.
1: you. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it is when you. are It was an obvious pivot. If, if yeah, this is what happened. My I was a Sputnik kid. Yeah, born fifty one. Brother was born in forty six. Mm-hmm. Nineteen fifty seven. Sputnik goes up. Yep. Americans are terrified. The, Soviets are ahead of us in space and have nuclear weapons. That's right. So my parents march us into the living room in St. Louis Park, sit us down, say, You boys are going to study math and science so we can beat the Soviets. And I, you know, I, at the time, I thought that's a lot of pressure to put on a six year old. <laughs> <Yes>. But <laughs> thanks, Spetnik. <laughs> uh, but I was a obedient. Son and so was my brother. So we studied math and science. And my dad didn't graduate high school. Mom didn't go to college. Mm -hmm. My brother first go to college in our family. And
0: did you have affinity for math and science at the time? I I was
1: yes. uh We were very good at it. We were just good at it. Okay. And my brother went to MIT. Right. Makes sense. And graduated in physics and became a photographer. And I got into uh, Harvard, graduated from Harvard, and became a comedian. Excellent. But we'd be the Soviets. Yes. So you're welcome. I always wonder how parents react to the resources
0: that go into funding those (laughs) educations.
1: Well, they actually— Like,
0: we know—how many lawyers do we know that went into comedy, right, after paying for that education? Yeah, there are quite a few. Yeah.
1: Um, Lorne Michaels' partner, Hart Pomerantz, uh, they had a show in Canada, Mm -hmm. uh, the Hart and Lorne Show. And Hart did the opposite thing. Warren wanted to take it to Hollywood, mm-hmm. and Hart bailed and went to law school. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. He went uh, the other route. Oh, uh, yeah. Look at what he
0: missed out on. <laughs> <laughs> like, I know. Talk about a miscalculation. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, Saturday Night Live, though, I mean, you talk about a cultural just touchstone at that time.
1: I can't imagine you guys had any idea of what was going on being in the eye of that hurricane. Well, it's funny because when we got there and Lauren got a big, long pre-production period, mm-hmm. which was good. And, and that allowed us to develop a sensibility, a common sensibility yeah. as writers. And I uh, feel like Lauren is a genius in
0: a lot of ways that people aren't aware of. Like something as simple as that as a producer, you know, you can't get time back. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> to be able to ask for that as a thirty-year
1: producer is amazing to Yeah, he yeah. asked for that, and also mm-hmm. he had done Laugh In. That's right. where he kind of made his bones. Then he produced these Emmy-winning Lily Tomlin specials, right. and that's how he got the this job or the opportunity at SNL. But like at uh, Laugh In, the writers here in Hollywood would write at some on some building, mm-hmm. and then the material would go over to a you know the studio, right? Like like a lot where they were actually yeah. taping the show. It's like they were in a factory manufacturing yeah. the jokes. Right? And uh, Lorne said, "No, that's let's have the writers produce our own pieces." Essentially, yeah. And so that was different. And Lorne also, um, because he had been part of Hart and Lorne, mm-hmm. uh, he really I think was looking out for me and Tom. Yeah, I that's made, awesome, Frank man. And Davis. Yeah,
0: it's so, Tom Davis who you met in in high school. In high school, right? Yeah,
1: yeah. and and what was funny is is that I that was my first job in show business. Really, yeah. I mean, I, Tom and I have done stand up, but it was our first job show, and brilliant. and we had people like Michael O'Donohue from the sure. National Lampoon, that's brilliant, and uh, we had these. Everybody was our generation, and our generation had never been on television before. Mm-hmm. We, we had an agent who said before the show. The, the, that we put a package together of writing. Right. And he said, you know, you guys are great writers. And we're doing stand-up. So we wrote a package for a show that didn't exist because what was on at the time was Carol Burnett, which was a great show. Oh, it's one, one of my favorites. But sorry. not our generation. Carson, who was great, The yep. Tonight Show, but that's not what we were... Different format, too. Yeah, right? yeah, very mm-hmm. different. So we wrote, I, I think it was 14 pages, and we wow. had a news parody. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we had a commercial parody. Nice. We had um, a sketch about, I think it was about the Sonny and Cher show, like a bad variety <laughs> show sketch. And then we did a, uh, a conceptual film. Yeah, like the, the like the type that Albert Brooks eventually did. Like it was things. very. It was just. It was the um, a camera at a um, like a Seven Eleven, uh-huh. the security cam, and it's like <laughs> rotating. It's like moving, scanning uh-huh. the place, and it just misses everything. But right. it sees like. <laughs> You hear gunshots and you see like <laughs> it just a can it? of V eight uh, <laughs> starts spurting uh, V eight. Nice. So it was the 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 concept was a security camera that misses everything. Very nice. I and like that. Hear it right. Okay, that's a good joke. Yeah. Fourteen pages. Boom. Right. Like if if you're ever submitting something to people, don't over. You know. Yeah. I remember we you want to hit that sweet spot of long enough but not too long. Right. Basically, you want in a submission, I have an original voice. Yeah. And I'm good. And yes. I'm funny. I, I agree funny. with that. Yeah. So it's all that. You've, I'm sure, had to look at writer samples yes, when you were putting I've the show to together. Yes. I had to do it myself and yeah, look yeah, at it. Yeah. yeah, yeah both yeah. of those things. Yeah. So I remember early on in the show, people would submit and we, we'd actually read it. Then we uh-huh. got sued early on because someone said, I submitted a package of material, uh, and I had—I uh, mentioned the CIA, and I see uh, that you had a piece with right. the CIA, and then I'm Because no you. one else could think of a, a <laughs> joke with the CIA. So then we had to stop reading things. But I remember people would, like, submit a 50-page sample. That's crazy. And, then, and you'd read it, and page two, you'd go, like, there's nothing here. Right. And you kind of get in touch with them, and they go, well, I can, I can submit more. I know. And, and Lauren had this yeah. thing. uh they used to say which is that uh you know the worst thing is uh that people are told never accept no for an answer <laughs> 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 and it tr- such a <laughs> it is funny how
0: talent just jumps out immediately you know it, the you know it has a way of just finding so i, I remember um a mutual friend is Alan Zoe Bell, who was sure. one of the original writers. And and I, when I first met Alan, you know, being the nerdy fan that I am, I pointed out that postage stamp joke I oh, think yeah. that he wrote. on the first show. Yes, which I think was in his stand-up, I think, at the time. I'm sure it know? was, yeah.
1: Which was how he it was got— on the first update.
0: Yes, exactly. It was something like, uh, I'm going to ruin it, but uh, there's a new post stamp honoring prostitution. The stamp costs five cents, but if you want to lick it, it's a dime. It's, it's something so, yeah, like that. Yeah, right, right, right.
1: That's, that's the construct. Or of it, it may have been a quarter. <laughs> yeah, sure. yeah, yeah. Quarter probably <laughs> sounds funnier. <laughs> right? I think lick it was the last two words, though. But it's 30 oh, yes, cents if yes. you want to lick it. Yes, there you go. Yeah. See, yeah. see, that's
0: a professional comedy writer, ladies and gentlemen. That's a professional comedy writer. Yeah.
1: But you would have gotten there if we were discussing the joke. Yes. You would have gotten there. Correct. are you also a professional.
0: You, know, you, you have to know that Lick It, lick it always has to end In a the, sentence yeah. when it's supposed to be funny. If you're pivoting, it's a whole different thing. Yeah. Then you want to bury Lick It as much as possible. I hope everyone's out there listening. <laughs> this is a lot to learn I know, Did you see yourself uh, going anywhere at that time? Where you just like, okay, I made it. This is where I am. Um, were there any, like...
1: Big aspirations. Oh and, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. Franken and Davis. We were gonna do Franken and Davis movies, we we're gonna yeah. do Franken and Davis and uh, that that really didn't happen. But Lauren put us on the show yeah. and then we would tour as Franken and Davis. And, and that we,
0: was another big thing that I thought Lauren Michaels did was putting writing writers in the cast, you know, and letting and letting well, the perform- Chevy
1: was originally hired as a writer, right. and of course became the, the breakout star in the first year. Yeah, and uh, yeah, there and and there are a lot of writers who wrote. Uh, I mean, a lot of, a lot uh, of a cast right. members who wrote. Uh, yeah. Danny wrote a lot. Yeah, and I wrote a lot with Danny. So did Tom. Uh, the three of us wrote a whole bunch of stuff together and and or created their own the characters you know like mm-hmm. kevin and and dana created hans and Franz and yeah you'd see these characters be created and sure. you'd write team up with them and write them for them or with them and you know people ask me what's the favorite moment from your 15 <laughs> seasons at snl sure. and there is no favorite <laughs> moment but the fate my favorite memory is just rolling on the floor laughing. Yes. At um, 3 in the morning. Absolutely. On a Wednesday morning. Uh, you know, read-throughs Wednesday afternoon. Yeah. And so much of the show got written Tuesday night, Wednesday morning. And that's my favorite memory is just rolling on the floor laughing <laughs> at something somebody just wrote or, or yeah. a character or something like that. And man, you know, I think Woody Allen said, uh, comedy is either easy or it's impossible. Yes. And when it's easy, there's nothing more fun. I agree. So when it's happening, yeah. wow, it's amazing. Yeah, and it's like you're all thinking the same thing.
0: Yeah. <laughs> at one time, and many of that stuff never even makes it to air. Some of those things that you're laughing at. You yeah, know? and what
1: when the yeah. show really worked, you go like, okay, I need someone to describe weapons. <laughs> Danny, Danny, <laughs> what kind of weapon would this guy be using? And can yeah. you, uh, you know. Or I need to, I need someone to talk about how he's going to beat you down. <laughs> Fred Wolf. Fred. <laughs> but you got it when a – Fred a, was a write, hilarious, by the way. Yeah. Fred w- Wolf. When yeah. you have a writing staff where you know each other and you've been working together for yeah. a while, it would be so efficient sometimes because you'd have a place in your right. sketch where you go like, I know who we need. Yes. You know, We need that Terminator to come in and write this part. I love how you talk
0: about, too, this is, this is a little producer nerdy stuff. But um, were you liked it when there was a balance between performers and writers? Yes. You know, in terms of talent and ability to contribute to the show. Why is that?
1: Well, because when the writers were much stronger mm-hmm. than the cast, and there were periods that, uh, of that, there'd just be a lot of pieces on the show that the writers considered really interesting. Mm-hmm that the audience didn't consider interesting or funny. (laughs) Right, writer jokes, as we call them. Yeah, and then there were, uh, when the cast dominated, which happened a lot, Mm -hmm. you'd see these recurring characters till they were beaten into the ground. Yeah, And, And ironically, people would want to beat them into the ground. After saying it for so long, <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> yes. uh, so uh, when there is uh, sort of equal strength, and when, mm-hmm. uh, you know, preferably when both are very strong, you have that's when the show is 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 the best. Has yeah. been the best, yeah. Mm-hmm. It was a good year this year. Very good year
0: this year. Oh, it was an amazing year this yeah. year. They're at their best when they're up against. Um, those, I mean, huge political type of events and happenings, I think, in the culture, you know. Yeah,
1: sometimes, you know, like Ross Perot single-handedly yes. that was gave fantastic. us a season. Yeah, <laughs> that's so hold on now. <laughs> that's so I, true. I remember I, I'd seen Ross Perot, and I got a, a, a tape of him, and uh-huh. i go in the Lauren's office with Dana and show him Ross Perot, and he goes, Oh my God! It's a fully formed comic character. Sure. <laughs> yes, right—the <laughs> actual person. Yes, and that's so true. And Dana just he was. just so knocked that one out of the yeah. park. I think that
0: that's what made it hard to make fun of Obama. He's not as comic as a person naturally. Yeah, you know? no, no, no. Like someone like Reagan, very comic. Nixon, very comic because mm-hmm. he was so sinister. Ford, okay, I think Chevy was—it was more people liked what Chevy was doing than he was actually doing a Ford thing. You yeah, know? no, no. He made no yeah. attempt
1: to look, sound— No, not at all. <laughs> not at all. He, and he did yeah. all—and he made him fatuous and, yes. and very clumsy. Yeah. And, of course, Gerald Ford was an all-American He was a football, football player in
0: Michigan, Yeah, yeah. Ackroyd's Carter went through a couple of manifestations. I remember, I remember when he was that hip uh, phone guy where he talked uh, the guy uh, to the At- president. Ask yeah. President
1: Carter, <laughs> yes. and that was Billy was uh, Walter Cronkite, <laughs> and Tom. He had to talk. Tom was yes. a voice. Uh, it was call-ins, and Tom yeah. was uh, a young man who had taken too much acid.
0: Didn't he ask him to describe the type of pill he took? Yeah. The,
1: yeah.
0: The, what is the shape
1: of that? <laughs> yes. I like, oh, you've taken some orange sunshine, <laughs> and, and I, I can't do Carver very no. well, but you know, you're a living organism. <laughs> you're going to be fine. Yes. Know? Am I, Jimmy? <laughs> and uh, and Carvey's bush.
0: I thought he found carby had H-W. an amazing. Yes, H W. He had an amazing ability to find
1: something we didn't see. You know. I first of all his george h. w Bush was a, again that was a go to we could yes. just open the show with right the not guy <laughs> yeah. and and, and I, wrote, I wrote a lot of those with jim downey mm-hmm. jim downey brilliant brilliant, mm-hmm. very smart, thoughtful conservative, yes, and we wrote a lot of those together, and you could just open with Dana doing yes. You know, Nagada uh, wouldn't be prudent, <laughs> and he would get so many laughs during dress rehearsal uh-huh. that sometimes we'd write a through line. I think I'd write about this in the book where it's like, you know, this vial of crack was found in Lafayette <laughs> Park, across the street from from He's... the White House. This bag of cocaine found on the White House lawn, <laughs> this hypodermic, two feet from my desk in the Oval Office. It's bad. It's bad.
0: I love and, it. And, You're and, laughing on the word park already. <laughs> yeah.
1: and, and, uh, <laughs> and he could get so many laughs with just his hand gestures yeah. that we'd have to go to him between dress and air and we'd go like... They're losing the through line because mm-hmm. they're laughing so much. Yeah. Stop being so funny. Would asshole. you mind? What's your problem? Yeah. Would yeah. you mind just, and he totally got it, mm-hmm. you know, and he was just playing in dress to see where it could get yeah. laughs. But he knew what he had. I mean, he knew sure. that, yes, you want Lafayette Park, Lawn of the White House, yes. <laughs> two feet from the from the desk in the Oval Office. Yes. You wanted that. that. Than to be tracking that, right? And but also
0: a writer's concern with this too, Dana. They're laughing too much. They can't hear the beauty of this construction. Yeah, right. well, they're, and, and
1: right. Dana was so brilliant that he knew exactly what we we're. He knew, yeah, that we were we were right then. And, yes, and he absolutely. Would, he would know yes. that, right? And he respected that about it. Well, yeah. he, he yeah. also knew it. I mean, it wasn't yeah. like, oh, the writers say this, therefore yes, I'd better I do it or something, yeah, yeah, yeah. or Jim and Al are really smart. Yeah. <laughs> no, he <laughs> knew it. He knew exactly. Yeah. He was part of the team there, sure. and he was the one. He was out there alone. And, man, he he was just brilliant at that. And we yeah. just did so many. Col- Bob Odenkirk wrote a great joke, which is, uh, it was just some joke like, we learned the lesson of Vietnam, which is, don't go into Vietnam. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I, the simplicity of that character always makes me
1: laugh in some way. But I think it's Dana's charm that— Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. You yeah. know, yeah. The, you know yeah. the the best impersonators also have a three-dimensional yeah. character sure. that they are. Like, that's what Danny did with, like, his, his Nixon or his Carter. Sure. You really kind of liked the person. Yes, you it know what I mean? Through. Yes. Or felt empathy for them. I think yes. his Nixon was so funny because he was a three-dimensional human being.
0: Yeah, Will Ferrell's George W. Bush. Yeah.
1: Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> same
0: thing. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and it's funny. I like that you mentioned that Jim Downing was a conservative because I think a lot of people look at Saturday Night Live and they think, well, this is the liberal take on the
1: news. But actually, the it seems like the mission statement was a little different. Like, Well, it was. And, and we felt – and I give Jim an enormous amount of credit mm-hmm. not for that but for just the political comedy over the course of the history of the show. And he left a couple years ago. But he wrote the um, – Strategery, yes. Uh, the the Bush uh, Gore debate, mm-hmm. uh, which I think was one of the most influential pieces of writing that uh-huh. uh, that election. Unfortunately, I was a I'm a big fan of Gore's and mm-hmm. the the lock box. Yeah, and you know that revealed a certain. Superciliousness about gore that people hadn't really locked on to yes. they'd locked on to that bush couldn't talk and, right. and and bush made fun of it himself yes. so strategery. which was which is actually very smart yeah. yeah yeah and um so but jim uh and and i and i think lauren uh, certainly lauren and everybody mm-hmm. felt that the job of the show was not to have a political bias because we were just too many people working at the show. So there yeah. were. Fred Wolf is very conservative. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I write in the book, I say, you know, Murphy Brown was a show created by one person, Diane English, mm-hmm. and starred uh, Candace Bergen. And that show could be a liberal feminist show. Right. Okay. We had 10 cast members or however we had at different points. And. You know, 15, 20 writers and uh, all these people working on a show. The, sh- the job of the show we did not feel was to have a political bias. What we thought was that we should do well observed comedy, a well observed mm-hmm. political comedy uh, that rewarded people who knew stuff and yeah. were smart about politics, but didn't punish you for not knowing stuff. Yes. Yes. You, you could still enjoy it. Yeah, you yeah. could take it—we thought that was important because there are people watching the show who don't know that much. You know, right. there are different levels of knowledge. So that was always something to aspire to, and I, I credit Jim in the book mm-hmm. with keeping that standard high, but this year, they are fabulous. Yeah. And this year, by the way, you can't be neutral now. Yes. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, you, people want uh, satire different.
1: to do a lot, I feel, these days,
0: like— they want satire to be more than comedy. I feel like they wanted to be like an agent of change, which
1: I don't feel that satire's job. I feel satire should—that's that's a heavy burden, and it, it isn't. is. I don't. I think it makes you. I, I do think it makes you laugh, and it makes you feel better, and yes. gives you some hope, maybe, and and or just makes you. It addresses uh, your anxiety and fear, which right. I th- there's a lot of that. I've been doing this book tour now for about a month, mm-hmm. and. Um, there's just a lot of that. There's just yes, a lot of that anxiety. feeling out there, yeah, mm-hmm. about this guy and about just right. how outside the norms he is of, mm-hmm. a, of, of a president and also of a human being. Yes, I felt one of the most important chapters in your book, which is very relevant right
0: now to the person you're speaking about, is your chapter on health care. Um, mm. I
1: think um, well, it's relevant when I go back, you know, absolutely. Two days from now.
0: But I, I really appreciated the fact that you really went back to 2008 and 2009 and really went through what happened back then. Yeah, Because it is a pox on both their houses for some of that. It's a pox on, a little more of a pox on one house than the other. Well, I think
1: a big pox on, mm-hmm. on one house. And yes. look, we, when I was debating Norm Coleman in 2008, he kept saying, America has the best health care system in the world because of the, we have the Mayo Clinic. hmm and I would try to explain that Mayo Clinic wasn't a healthcare system; <laughs> it was a hospital right. with um, uh, yes, uh, in clinics. And, and it's uh, in
0: Minnesota, it's not like in America. Uh, no, it's <laughs> right. not like every hospital <laughs> yes. in America
1: is Mayo, and that's every everybody's covered. Mm-hmm. And uh, T.R. Reed wrote this book about all the healthcare systems in the world, and he basically said we we don't have a system; we have many systems. If you're in Medicare, you're in the Canadian system, right? The single payer. If you're in the VA, if you're in the military, you're in the British system, socialized Mm -hmm. medicine. If you're getting it from your employer, you're in the German system. Mm -hmm. If you don't have health care at all, if you don't have insurance, you're in the Cambodian system. And the idea was to get people of Obamacare, of the ACA, was to get people from the Cambodian system into either the Canadian or the German system, essentially.
0: Yes, the the, the biggest goal of that was to get those people who weren't
1: being covered properly yeah and and succeeded in getting over 20 million new people covered we didn't get everyone covered Mm -hmm. uh and now they're trying to undercut it in every way they can trump is and the republicans have been from the very beginning Mm -hmm. trying to undermine the exchanges
0: a lot of people don't even know how like even marco rubio uh he he was uh he got rid of what are called the risk corridors yeah, can you talk about that a little bit because people shouldn't know some of these efforts at
1: destroying this before yeah. it even had a chance to work yeah. okay, the risk corridors are basically insurance companies on the exchanges would cover a universe of people, and actuaries had you know their mm-hmm. estimate of what a yes. risk pool would be like, and some insurance companies would get risk pools that were higher than others mm-hmm. <laughs> that were worse than others. And the insurance companies paid in some money, and then they were guaranteed money back if they had actuarially a higher yes. risk pool. They
0: were well aware of the huge risk that yes, was about absolutely. to hit. absolutely. Right. And
1: part of the deal was they would get the cost sharing if they had a higher risk pool, mm-hmm. they would get this money back. And it'd be the money that the insurance companies paid in, they'd get back. Mm-hmm. And was first thought that the money they put in would be sufficient, Mm -hmm. but no, it wasn't. And the risk pool was higher than people thought, and there was a whole bunch of reasons for that. Yes. But the point is, is that these insurance companies were owed that money. And uh, Marco Rubio put a thing in saying, no, it has to be revenue neutral. Mm -hmm. And uh, so it can't come out of the government, even though— He just wanted
0: to kill it, basically.
1: Yeah. So basically, they got 12 cents on the dollar. Mm -hmm. And bam, 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 they dropped out. So Blue Cross Blue Shield basically dropped out of the exchange in Minnesota. Basically dropped out of Minsure. And that meant there's less competition. And so all this stuff about Republicans saying— yeah, you know, there's so many counties in Iowa where no one. Well, yeah, because you guys were undermining and attacking you this, got what and, you and so has Trump been doing that by shortening the period to uh, join the exchanges. They also had, uh, you know, the commissioners of health in states doing everything they could not to let not to have people sign yeah. up to sabotage it. Hopefully this fails and hopefully it fails next week and hopefully then we can work in a bipartisan way to strengthen the exchanges. Mm-hmm. And uh, we, there are ways to do that, including a public option, but I don't know if Republicans will go for that. Yeah. But there are other ways to do that right. and we need to address pharmaceutical costs. Absolutely. And I have a comprehensive bill to do that. And we're beginning to have hearings. Great. We actually are having hearings now on the help. Do you have United. hope for this? Yeah, I'm for- I do. I do. I think that what they came up with was so bad, Right. Uh, 17% of the American people support the Senate bill, uh, which is the exact number of Americans who uh, have seen a ghost. Yeah. <laughs> they say they've seen a ghost. Yes. And uh, uh, there's a, I think there's a large overlap. Yes, I agree. Well,
0: Senator, uh, I, we've run out of time here, and I really appreciate this you. This was fun. We, let's so do it again. Fun. I really would like to talk to you more about this issue. It's such an important issue at some point, maybe when you have time. I think it's an issue that hasn't been covered enough, especially in the way you covered it in your book.
1: So well, weird. you know what was fun, though? Yeah. Was, I've been doing a lot of these podcasts. but This was fun talking about comedy with you because yeah. you're obviously a writer, producer, performer. And, um, you know, each one of these podcasts is, and radio interviews, et cetera, is different. But yes. this is, I really enjoy oh, talking about Senator, that.
0: Senator, we want your sense of humor, too. We love your jokes. Bring them back. Well, well they're back. <laughs> they're yeah. back. Yes. They're safely back. Sling them. We need them out yeah, Okay, okay. <laughs> but, I got you. But thank <laughs> you I Thank you so much, me. Senator. We're, uh, we're rooting for you out there. Thank you, man. I'll talk to you later. Thanks. Senator Al Franken, everybody. Giant of the Senate. Al Franken, Giant of the Senate. Please only say the entire phrase. That's right. Thanks.